Well, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and uh, welcome to those of you who are here, especially for the child dedications. As Matthew said, we are finishing our series in the book of Revelation. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you and maybe inform you for the first time, if you haven't heard about this, about a really cool tradition that we have here as a church and uh, something for you to consider as you think about uh, end of year generosity, uh, things you want to give to. My encouragement to you would be if you're like, going, man, I, I want to be generous this Christmas. Um, what's a way to do that? Uh, we have a way for you to do that. It's called our Christmas offering. And so this is something we do every year uh, where we pick a number of different initiatives with partners, uh, sometimes things related to our church, inside our church, beyond our church. And uh, we give you an opportunity to give to that. And then we just can bless people all together uh, with resources in a way that none of us could do individually. So we've got our Christmas offering coming. And the way we're or organizing it this year really comes out of the, the book of Acts chapter one, verse eight. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And really, if you think about it, that's like close by. That's Jerusalem and Judea. That was the area right around them, close. Uh, Samaria was nearby. It was, it was not far geographically, but it was a world apart um, culturally. The Samaritans were pretty different from the Jews. And so uh, there was close, there was near. And then he says, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that's far. And so that's how we've decided to organize the offering this year is give to some initiatives that are close, near, and far. So let me tell you about those. And I'll actually just do it in reverse order since I'm already standing over here in the far place. Uh, so uh, the far initiative is um, to bless some pastors in Turkey who have really experienced significant persecution. That's our main overseas uh, area of missions focus is in Turkey. And Turkey's an interesting country because it's like, it's totally legal to be a Christian there. And yet there's a lot of persecution and pressure against those who are, and especially against the pastors. And, uh, and so we want to give some gifts to be able to bless those pastors, to be able to help them with legal fees, to help them with education, to help them with some other stuff. And actually next week, uh, we have a really cool uh, opportunity to hear from a guy named Carlos Madrigal. And Carlos uh, founded one of the longest standing, uh, most impactful Protestant churches in uh, Istanbul. And uh, he is one of these persecuted pastors. He's been kicked out of the country. He can't get back in. Uh, but he's going to be with us uh, tomorrow. He's been arrested for his faith. He's been beaten for his faith. Uh, he's not with us tomorrow. He's going to be with us next week. Uh, next week. And he's going to preach about that. And we've been studying that in Revelation, that persecution's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of how severe and will we hold fast underneath it. Well, he's a guy who's held fast underneath it. We want to bless some of these persecuted pastors so that they can hold fast and endure. So that's a part of the Christmas offering. That's the far part. The near part is related to some partners in Juarez. So Juarez is a, we've got a ministry in Juarez, Mexico that we're partnered with called Missions Ministries. We send teams down there every March and every October to do home builds and to do other stuff. A few years ago, part of the Christmas offering was to raise money to help uh, construct a new church building for one of the partner churches down there. And we want to do some stuff to really help those churches. So that church that we help build for, they need to expand. They're growing. They need some additional space and some restrooms. We love to give them a gift to help make that happen. There's also a youth group that has started meeting there. It's incredible. Uh, we got to be there uh, this weekend. This weekend, uh, some of our good friends, they go every Thanksgiving uh, to, uh, to Juarez. And so they allowed us to tag along. So this year for, for Thanksgiving, instead of uh, turkey, we had tacos. And uh, 
I'm telling you, it wasn't worse, okay? It was, it was uh, pretty great. And, um, but we got to go Thursday night to this youth group, and uh, here's a picture of the youth group. And there was like 100 middle school, high school age kids packed into this sweaty room. And uh, they, it was this just incredible. I mean, most of these kids uh, go home at night, and they're sleeping on a dirt floor or a concrete floor. And yet they're gathered there and they're hearing the gospel and they're singing and they're worshiping and the room's just bursting at the seams. Like we had to kind of keep scooting back in the room. Well, one of the things we'd love for this offering to do is make it where that far wall that you see there, where we could blow out that far wall and and almost double the size of the room, which would make it just a, a lot better experience for those kids and for the ministry that's happening there. So that's the near part of the Christmas offering. And then the close part, this is something that's kind of a, a new thing we're going to experiment with. And I, I think it could be pretty cool, uh, but that's going to depend on you. And that is to do what we're calling best friend grants. So we've said for a long time, we want to be the best friend this community has. And we just sort of imagine the best way to be the best friend that our community has is through you. And the ideas that you have, what are some ways that you would want to bless your neighborhood, bless your community? Are there ministries in our community you're already doing work with? And and here's what you can do uh, is with some of the money that's raised, you're going to be able to apply for a grant where we'll then grant you some money for you to go unleash one of your great ideas on our community. So uh, those are the things we're doing close, near, far. Uh, You can give to that anytime between now and the end of the year. We will also pass buckets on Christmas Eve. It's the one time a year that we pass the offering and it's to go to that stuff. So I uh, wanted to make sure you knew about that. And, uh, and then now we can dive into uh, Revelation. Um, you know, we're here at the end. We're looking today at Revelation 21 and 22. So if you have, if you didn't grab a Bible, make sure you grab that. Uh, you're going to want it. Um, you know, one of the things I found over, over time in life is that the person in charge is the one, you know who's in charge because they always get the last word. Some of you really need the last word you got to be in charge, right? There's control freaks and there's liars. Yeah, that's what I've learned in uh, my time, right? Parents, right? You, right? You're like, I always get the last word until they're teenagers and then they get the last word and you realize this has changed. The power dynamic is different. Uh, well, the cool part in the book of Revelation is that God gets the last word. And this last word is really good news and uh, really encouraging. And so I, I'm excited to be able to finish this series. Um, it's been a good time going through the, the book of Revelation and seeing what God has for us as he prepares us, not just to predict all the things about the future, uh, but to uh, be prepared for life with him for eternity. And one of the things that's especially cool about this passage is, is so much in the book of Revelation up to this point is controversial, is like hard to understand, There's this camp and that camp and what do you believe? And this part everyone agrees on. And it's just awesome. All right, so that's what we're gonna look at. So here's here's kind of the way we're gonna approach it today. We're gonna look at Revelation 21 and 22. And I wanna show us some final warnings, final surprises, and final promises. Final warnings, final surprises, and final promises. First, final warnings. It's interesting because the judgment of the world, the judgment of sinners, the judgment of those who were not uh, covered in the blood of the lamb, that happened in chapter 19 and 20, right? That was the judgment. And yet here, even at the very end, there's still these warnings. Even at the very end, the author is trying to say, hey, make sure you're on the right side of history here. Make sure you're on the right side with God. Make sure that you get to spend eternal life with God forever. And there's even warnings, even in this last part. It reminds us that this book has been a letter trying to encourage us to, to believe, to trust in Christ. 
And the reality is, is most people, nobody nobody realizes this, but, but most people, their default spiritual belief is salvation by death. As Christians, we believe the Bible teaches salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, right? The only way you're saved is by trusting in Christ. But, but most people, just the default assumption is they believe in salvation by death, right? And we know this as it relates to our animals, right? You've heard the expression, all dogs go to heaven. All dogs go to heaven. By the way, just a, kind of a fun thing, the first sermon I ever heard Seth preach was at a different church where he casually mentioned that not all dogs do go to heaven. And I was like, I don't know this guy, but I like him. Uh, right, but and I, I'm not trying to get theological about your pets. I'm sure, I'm sure your pets are saved by grace uh, and will be there. But, but here's what I know is, is people assume the only thing you need to do to go to heaven is die. That's salvation by death. I, like I've been to so many funerals as a pastor. And like as you're hearing people talk in some of these instances, the, the saddest ones is like the person died and, and nobody is even tempted to think they were a Christian. But everyone still says, he's smiling down on us right now. Is he? Will you? Is eternity just guaranteed? Once you die, you go to heaven? No. And the scriptures, even in this passage, makes that clear. It's interesting, the clarity of Revelation. Because there's so much that's unclear, right? Like as we've been teaching through this, there's like this beast and it has this many heads and this many tails and this many scales and this many everything. And you're like, what in the world does all this mean? And, and some of you have been like, man, I wish, I wish you guys would have sh- you know, taught more of the details. And I'm like, I wish I would have known what the details meant and I could have taught them. Um, but, but, but listen, all of that, it feels obscure and opaque. And what does this mean? But the clear stuff is really clear in this book. And it's just over and over and over. You got two options. You can go the way of the beast or the way of the lamb. You can go the way of Babylon or you can go the way of the new Jerusalem. You can go glory now or glory forever with Christ. What do you want? Like it's stark, it's clear, it's a contrast. And it continues even in these chapters, the final warnings. The first warning is this. There's two final warnings in these chapters. The first is this. Not everyone is included in the new heavens and the new earth. Look at chapter 21, starting in verse 7. The one who conquers, uh, by the way, just hold that in your head. The one who conquers, we'll come back to that in a moment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Eternal life is for those who conquer. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Verse 8, here's the warning. But... As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In an interesting verse 8, but as for the cowardly, in other words, especially those who caved in under the pressure of persecution, it's a great warning. The warning continues. It says in chapter 21, verse 26, 
and following that the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into this new kingdom. We'll talk about that. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It says in verse 14, blessed are, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 22 now. Chapter 22, verse 14, you see this again. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Listen, the the new heavens and the new earth is not for everybody. Now, Now get this, it's available to everybody but not everyone will come because some will want to hold on to their pride and hold on to their sin and hold on to their selfishness and hold on to everything about their way of life that is anti-God. And if you want to hold on to that, that's fine, but you're not going to be in the new heavens and new earth. You're going to be in the lake of fire. And I'm not trying to be cruel and I'm not trying to be mean. I am trying to be sober even at the end. And there's so much hope that we're gonna talk about in a minute, but, but, but before we can even think about the hope, we've got to take seriously one last time the warning of this book. Where will you go when you die? Where will you go at the final judgment? It's not salvation by death. It's salvation by faith in Christ alone. It's for those who conquer, we said in 21 verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will have this heritage. Well, what does it mean to conquer? Well, look back at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 tells us what it is to conquer. Right? Conquer was the big command in chapters 2 and 3 given to the churches. Conquer, conquer, conquer. How do you conquer? Chapter 12 verse 11. And they have conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Is that you? Your victory, get this, it's not in yourself, it's not in your good works, it's not in your good intentions. Your victory, your conquering is due to the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus who died as a substitute for sinners like you and me. Is that the way you conquer? And then you go, you know what, and I'm so in on him and I'm so committed to him that you know what, if, if, if it costs me everything, okay, I'm in. If that's you, you have hope. But if you're like, ah, I don't know, I want it to be about me. I want it to be about what I've done. And I gotta save my skin. Be warned. There's a, another warning in these verses, in chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 8, this is a striking thing for John, the author of this book, to include. But I think he includes it in order to warn us. Look at what it says in chapter 22, verse 8. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. 
<laughs> He's saying, you know what? The, the, these angelic beings, they're so amazing and they're so beautiful and they're so stunning and the words they're saying and the visions they're offering, they're so incredible that you'd actually be tempted to worship them. And in these pages, in these final pages, is a call to a church saying, hey, be faithful, worship God alone. Let's heed the warnings of this book, that we will conquer by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, by loving our lives, not giving, being willing to give up our lives even unto death, and by worshiping God alone. So there's final warnings. But next, the better news, there's final surprises. Final surprises. Uh, there's three surprises that are given in these pages. Uh, and the first one is this, is that eternity is more physical than you think. Eternity is more physical than you think. Look at what it says in chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, I just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but a lot of us get nervous at that part that says the sea was no more, because they're like, wait a minute, are you saying there's not going to be an ocean in heaven? That's not what it's saying. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. How many of you are glad there will be an ocean and the new earth, right? But, but sea, all throughout the Bible, the sea represents chaos, represents darkness, represents evil, saying that's going to be gone. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So eternity is more physical than you think, right? Here's where we have to like do a little bit of adjusting some of the way we think about eternity. See, we think about eternity that if you're a follower of Jesus, you die and then you go to heaven, end of story, right? That's where you go like, hey, do you believe in life after death? You go, yes, I believe in life after death. That's I die and I go to heaven. Here's what Revelation 21 is saying. Revelation 21 is not about life after death. Revelation 21 is about life after life after death. See, we go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be with Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's true. If you died right now and, and you're in Christ, you would go and you'd be with Christ. But that's not the end of the story. Here's what it is. That's the layover. Who's excited about the layover? Like nobody, right? Like, like every year we go to everyone's favorite summer destination spot, Toledo, Ohio. And... Uh, <laughs> And to get there, you know, we've got to, we've got to fly from here to Chicago, uh, to Detroit. We call it the Dirty D. And we get off at Detroit, and then we drive to Toledo. So we go here, Chicago, Detroit. When we're like at the airport, and you're getting your coffee, and you're excited, and people are like, oh, where are you guys, you know, where, where are you going? We're never like, Chicago! Because that's the layover. That's like the holding spot until we get to the main destination. Here's the deal. The main destination is not just heaven up there somewhere. The main destination is heaven coming down to earth, right? Even it says the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Like, so, so here's what, I, I'm so, so excited to tell you this. Eternity is more physical than you think. You think of it probably like a lot of people think of it where it's like maybe you have a body and you have a white robe and there's a physical harp, I guess. And there's some trampoline-like bouncy clouds for you to doing, you know, like Mario on the clouds, you know. And, and this is why a lot of us, I think, are like, if that's heaven, what's, could you show me the brochure on hell? I'm kind of interested what that would be like. Because that doesn't seem very compelling, and it's not. 
And it, it's because you weren't made to live in a non-physical world. You're an embodied soul. And in the resurrection of, of all things, you're going to get a new body. And heaven is gonna, and earth are going to come down. And it's all going to be made new. And you're going to live in this renewed world. And, and so that's why this, this section is just filled with all these physical descriptions. Starting in verse 10. Uh, he says he's carried away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And uh, he showed the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, uh, verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, uh, it, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. The west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And you're like, well, what does all that mean? That's not the point for right now. The point is to go, this is all described physically. A place with walls and gates and north, south, east, west. It's directional. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And in this new heavens and the new earth, one of the most incredible things is that there's going to be some of the glory of the current heaven, the current earth brought into it. Look at what it says in 21, 26. It says, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This is stunning to me. This, here's what they're saying. There's some stuff about the world that has been cultivated, right? Adam and Eve were told, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, cultivate this. Well, some things that humanity has cultivated are gonna be so good that they're gonna be brought into the new heavens and the new earth. You go, well, what are they? I'm not sure. I think it'll involve a bacon cheeseburger. That, <laughs> to me, that's the glory of the nations. That should make it in. I don't know everything, but, but, but that's an incredible thing, which means what you do now matters. Like, we have this idea, well, it's all going to burn. Well, yes, in a sense that, that it's going to be purified. But here's what it means. The things you're doing now that matter for eternity will matter in eternity. God will bring the glory of the nations. It's more physical than you think. And in chapter 22, it's physical with a river. There's a, a river of the water of life, verse 1, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Isn't that interesting? There's a tree and every month there's a different harvest on the tree, right? We, we have trees and like maybe once a year, here come the apples, but there's like... One month it's this, the next month it's this, the next month it's this. And it says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Just so striking to me. The glory of the nations will be brought in and the pain of the nations will be healed. Because we've lived in a physical world filled with glory and filled with pain. And all of it matters to God. And he's gonna make all things new. Few people grasp this, like C.S. Lewis. And here's what he wrote in The Last Battle. He said, the difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked like it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I've come home at last. 
This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia so much is because sometimes it looked a little bit like this. Come further up, come further in. Listen, if you've been imagining just some spiritual no man's land called heaven for eternity, eh, it's more physical and it's much better than you think. So eternity is more physical than you think. That's the first surprise. The second surprise is this. Eternity is more spiritual than you think. It's more spiritual than you think. You know, what do you mean? Well, there's a main attraction in heaven. It's not the walls. It's not the gates. It's not the tree. It's not the streets paved with gold. It's God. He's the treasure. He's the glory. He's the joy. And it's easy to forget, right? Like we get so like, oh man, I can't wait for heaven because my back won't hurt. And by the way, amen. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, oh, I can't wait for heaven. I'll just play on the best golf courses. And like, amen. And you might actually be good. <laughs> Let's be honest. Probably not. But you got a long time to work on it. Okay? Yeah. And right, there's all these things we get excited about. Don't forget the main thing. Like, husbands, when, when, you're, when you take your wife to dinner on your anniversary, don't be more excited about the dinner you're eating than you are about her. She's the main attraction. She's the main thing. Same thing with God. God is the main thing. God is the main attraction. God is the biggest treasure. God is the greatest joy. God is the heartbeat, the light, the delight of heaven. And the new heavens and the new earth. Look at what it says in verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God himself, he's the treasure. He's the delight. Look at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light and its lamp is the lamb. Look at chapter 22 in verse four, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Are you excited to meet God, to see and experience God? And, and here's what I just want to say. If, if you're bored by God, repent. Because if you're like, well, I want heaven, but I, don't, I can take or leave God. You're not going to heaven. And if you went, you wouldn't like it. Because it's not mostly about a pain-free life. It's mostly about, wow, I get to be connected to God. And this is what it says in the Psalm, Psalm 1611. In his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence. You want full joy forever? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Maximum joy, longest period of time. Where do you get it? Close to God. And, and I don't know, you can't read Revelation and be bored with God. You can say God's a lot of things as you read Revelation. He ain't boring. So eternity is more physical than you think. It's also more spiritual than you think. And then here's the third surprise from these pages is that eternity is more gracious than you think. 
Eternity is more gracious than you think. I don't know how you think you're going to get to heaven, but if you get there, it'll only be by God's grace. Look at what it says in chapter 21, verse 2. He says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And that there is a picture of how all of us will experience relationship with God, is it has to come down. Every other world religion, every other system, even secularism and humanism is all about man going up. You're going to go up to God through your good works. You're going to go up to God through your good intentions. You're going to go up to God through your science and technology and advancement. You're going to go up to God through your pilgrimages. You're going up to God through your discipline. You're going to go up to God through your meditation. It's all about trying to get up, up, up. And the gospel is that God came down. He came down in Christ. This is what we're about to celebrate in Christmas, is that the dwelling place of God with man has always been the case that it's God coming to us, that it's God saving us by grace. There's so much grace in this passage. Look at verse six. He said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Without payment, it's free, it's gracious. Here you go, you want it, it's yours. This is surely an allusion to Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. And you go, how can that work? How can that be? And Isaiah continues, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. God's ways are gracious and God's ways come down. And I love that it it says in verse six, to the thirsty, to the thirsty. Are you thirsty? And there are a lot about life that's like, man, that was a decent taste, but... I'm thirsty for more. There's a lot about life that's like, gosh, I feel tired and I feel dry and I feel worn out and I feel beat. Man, I'm thirsty for some rest. I'm thirsty for some satisfaction. I'm thirsty for some joy. You thirsty? Come, come. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Why could he do that? because there was another man who was thirsty. And on the cross, as he was hanging there dying for our sins, it was Jesus Christ who said, I thirst. And rather than his thirst being satisfied, he was given a sponge filled with vinegar, sour and unsatisfying. So Pastor Tim Keller says, on the cross, Jesus Christ was experiencing the cosmic thirst that we deserve so that we could receive the waters of life. Eternity is more physical than you think, it's more spiritual than you think, and it's more gracious than you think. And finally, some warnings, or I'm sorry, some promises. You're like, the warnings again? No, we already did that. (laughs) Finally, final promises. Look at chapter 21, verse 4. What a promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. No more tears, all things new. What a promise. This is the promise. No more lies, no more violence, no more war, no more abuse, no more hunger, no more suffering, no more shame, no more cruelty. No more adultery, no more divorce, no more secrets, no more manipulation, no more addiction, no more greed, no more cancer, no more mental illness, no more depression, no more anxiety. It's gone. He's going to wipe it away. And and he says, I'm making all things new. And I just love it. He knows that we aren't going to believe it. So he says, write this down. I get the last word. I get the final word on this. These words are trustworthy and true. And isn't there something so personal and intimate about wiping tears? You ever get down in the face of a little kid who's crying? You wipe their tears. It's personal. It's tender. And it reminds us that God is a good shepherd. He's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. How do we know? Because we know he's coming. This time I want to invite Matthew and Stephen to come up and get ready uh, to conclude our sermon. But uh, before they come or as they come, I want you to look at chapter 22. Because three places Jesus says the same thing. And anytime Jesus says something three times, you should pay attention. And this is how the book finishes. Verse 7 of chapter 22. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Listen, here's the promise. The promise is that all things will be made new, all tears will be wiped away because Jesus is coming soon. Amen? That's why we have hope. That's why we have a future. That's why we hold fast and stay courageous, even in the midst of pain and suffering and death. I wanted to uh, close this series by asking Matthew and Stephen to play uh, one of my favorite songs. It's a song by Andrew Peterson. It's called After the Last Tear Falls. And here's what I want to tell you, friends, as you listen to this. We'll just put the words on the screen. Just stay seated and just listen and read along. But here's what I want you to know as we listen to this. This isn't wishful thinking. This is what's coming to pass. Write these down, he said. These words are trustworthy and true. Amen. Take it away, guys. After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, After the last bullet tears through flesh and bone 
After the last child starves And the last girl walks the boulevard After the last year that's just too hard There is love, 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 love There is love, 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 love There is love After the last disgrace After the last lie to save some face After the last brutal jab From a poison tongue After the last dirty politician After the last meal down at the mission After the last lonely night in prison There is love, 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 love There is love, 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 love There is love And in the end, the end is oceans and oceans Love and love again See how the tears that have fallen Were caught in the paws Of the giver of love And the lover of all And we look back on these tears As old tales Cause after the last plan fails After the last siren wails After the last young husband Sails off to join the war After the last this marriage is over After the last young girl's innocence is stolen After the last years of silence That will let a heart open There is love Love, 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 there is love And in the end, the end is oceans and oceans Of love and love again See how the tears that have fallen Were caught in the palms Of the giver of love and lover of all And we'll look back on these tears as After the last tear falls, there is love. After the last tear falls, there is love, love.